been a wonderful hour tonight. Turn your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, please. I really appreciate our volunteer choir tonight. Thank you so much. That was beautiful. And Brother Johnny, your drawing really moved our hearts on an old rugged cross, the old rugged cross. There's another song that says, there is a green hill far away without a city wall where our dear Lord was crucified who died to save us all. And that wonderful picture that Brother Johnny drew certainly was a great reminder of that. First Peter chapter three, and the subject tonight is always be ready. Always be ready. And I wanna read the 22 verses of this chapter and I hope it'll be a blessing to our hearts. First Peter three, remember we're on Sunday nights, we're preaching through first Peter. On Wednesday nights, the book of James. On Sunday mornings, the book of John. And so we're, we've come to first Peter chapter three. And remember that Simon Peter has written to all those scattered abroad, to the strangers and to the sojourners. And remember that we're not inhabitors, we're just sojourners in the earth. The difference between a sojourner and an inhabitor, an inhabitor has settled, this world is our home, and we're enjoying it. A sojourner is one who testifies, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. So you classify yourself tonight. If the world has become so charming to you that you wanna be a settler and just stay here, and enjoy all of its fashions and court its customs and follow its fashions, then uh, you'll have a hard time serving the Lord. First Peter chapter three, listen to this. In the same manner, ye wives, be in subjection unto your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the behavior of the wives while they behold your chaste conduct coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be the outward adorning of braiding the hair and of wearing on of gold and of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any terror. In like manner, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you're called to do this, that you should inherit a blessing. For he that would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous 
and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. Be not afraid of their terror, nor of their be, nor neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good manner of life in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, who at one time were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing in which few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure unto which even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Now the theme of the message tonight is in verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is within you with meekness and fear. I wish you'd read that with me. It'd be a good memory verse. I wish everyone would memorize that. Read it with me out loud. 1 Peter 3:15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now the chief thought in this chapter is our witness and uh, the reality of our witness. And Simon Peter, writing to all the scattered abroad ones, all the sojourners, those who are saved, who can testify this world is not my home, I'm just passing through, I'm a Christian, I'm on the way to heaven. He writes this chapter to say three things. Number one, you need to give a reason for the real thing beyond the appearance. Number two, give a reason for the rendering that reveals his approach, that is, his touch in our lives. And we're using his approach, Christ's approach to life. Number three, the reality that brings assurance. Now, every one of us needs to give a reason for the hope that is within us. And uh, the Simon Peter in this passage is translating that into real life. He says, number one, if we're gonna give a real uh, testimony and a reality and the reason for the way we are, then we need to, to keep in mind the real thing beyond the appearance. And he uses the first part to focus on this. He says, 
and he deals with wives and husbands. A very ticklish passage. Sometimes uh, preachers like to steer clear of this passage of Scripture. I don't think we need to steer clear of it. We need to just come to grips with it. Look what he says. In the same manner, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husband, that if in any, any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the behavior of their wives. Why is he saying all this? He's saying, wives, if you really want to give a reason for the hope that is in you, you're saved, then live an exemplary life before your husband. The unbelieving husband and the believing husband. Live an exemplary life. And then he goes on to say, while they behold your chaste conduct coupled with fear. No matter how the husband acts, the wife who's a believer needs to be chaste in her conduct. Have you ever heard of some wife saying, well, I'll tell you, my husband went out on me. I'll just treat him like he treated me, and I'm going to go out and do the same thing. Brother, that'll never work for a Christian. That's not God's will at all. Never. Forever and forever, never. Paul, Peter is saying, if you want to give a reason for the hope that is within you, live a chaste conduct. And then he says, now look beyond the appearance to the real thing. And that's what he's talking about in these next verses. Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of the braiding of the hair and of wearing of gold and putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Now, what he is saying here, he's not saying there's anything wrong with putting on some makeup. Any old barn needs a paint job once in a while. He's not saying you ought not to wear earrings, women. I think he doesn't want men to wear earrings, but he, he, he's saying, women, you need to look nice. Look as sharp as you can. Be as attractive as you can. But all the time remember that if that's all you've got, it's just a big show. What you really need to have is the adorning of the heart. Your heart needs to be right. And that's what he's saying here. Look beyond the appearance to the real thing. If you want to give a reason for the hope that is within you, you can't just make it the outward appearance. It has to be something that's real in the heart. Look at verse four. But let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection even to their own husbands. They made themselves look as nice as they could for their husband. Now, some of you are going to get married soon. Or some of you are thinking about getting married in the next 20 years. Uh, well, let me tell you, girls, you ought to look as nice as you can. And that doesn't include half-nakedness. Because if that's all you've got, you're just showing the outside. And you're trying to attract the lust of men. And you may not even know that. And there's some grown ladies in this room who let their kids go around half-naked in the summer thinking, well, that's okay because you do it too. And that's just the outward man. And I want to tell you, God is saying that's not the way to do it. The way to do it is the inner person. That you be sure you got something on the inside. And when you've really got something on the inside, it'll show on the outside. 
There's nothing wrong with earrings, nothing wrong with beads and jewelry and things like that. Nothing wrong with a little bit of stuff they used to call rouge. I don't know what they call it now. What do you call it? What? Blush. Yeah, it makes you blush. <laughs> As, uh, we need that because most women can't blush anymore. They've lost the ability to blush. Just anything they do is all right. But I want to tell you, that's not true of the Christian. That's not true of you. And you need a little bit of blush on you. <laughs> all right, nothing wrong with that. But he says, if that's all you've got, it's not much. There needs to be something on the inside. And when you really have something on the inside, it will show on the outside and you don't have to do all the decorative work on the outside because the inside will show on the outside. And so he's saying, let the real thing show beyond the appearance. And then he says same thing to husbands. Look at this in verse seven, in like manner, husbands, Dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. That doesn't mean she's so weak and puny she can't walk. That means that you need to honor her. God's put her on a pedestal. And husbands need to honor their wives. You know why we try to stand when a lady comes on this platform? We honor the ladies. Now some of you ladies, not you here at this church, but some women, some places have stepped off of their pedestal and have tried to be like a man. God never meant for you to be like a man. He wants you to be like a lady. And somehow we live in an age when there's a revulsion against that and ladies want to be like men. And un unthinkable, some men want to be like ladies. Can you imagine such a thing? No wonder we have such a mixed up society, a unisex society and, and uh, uh, lesbians and homosexuals dwelling all around everywhere and uh, masquerading as reality when all along it's just a farce. My beloved, if you're a lady, live like a lady, walk, walk like a lady, talk like a lady and let men respect you as a lady. You don't have to be like a man which includes the clothes you wear, and you won't like that. You didn't like my sermon this morning. You won't like it tonight either, but I love you anyway. <laughs> God bless you. Let it be the hidden man of the heart. Walk like a believer. And he's saying here, the real thing is beyond the outward appearance. It's what's inside of you. That's what really counts. Secondly, we go to verses 8 through 12, the rendering that reveals his approach or his touch. And we're talking about give a reason for the hope that is within you. See, the reason for the hope that is within you is, no, is more than just getting up and saying something with your lips. I've heard people get up and say, my favorite scripture is blah, blah, blah. And I was glad I was saved when I was four. And I, blah, 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 blah. And then they sit down. That doesn't mean anything. Not a thing. There needs to be a real testimony from the heart that begins on the inside. And when you stand up, all you have to do is just sort of stand there and meekly say, I'm glad Jesus saved me as a sinner. And I got saved and got changed. And when I got changed, he changed the way I dress. He changed the way I walk. He changed the way I act in church. He changes the way I go to uh, amusements. He changes all of that because Christ in you is the hope of glory. Now, I want you to notice this next section, the rendering that reveals his touch. Beginning in verse 8, finally, 
Be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you're called to this, that you should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, his lips from that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Now I want you to notice some things. First of all, he says, if you're going to render outwardly the approach that Christ had to things, in other words, you're gonna reveal the touch of God in your life, there's gonna be compassion a tender compassion for people. Not gonna be a hardness, a compassion. When somebody has a need, I'd a whole lot rather get took. That's not good English. Than to say to a person that has a need, well, I'm so hard-hearted, I don't care, you go somewhere else, go down to blah, 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 and get some help something there. If I've got any way at all to help somebody, I wanna do it. Now, unfortunately, we can't help everybody. I wish we could, but there has to be compassion and a love that reaches out and tries to help people. Let the compassion of Jesus be seen in us. He was tenderhearted. You remember that woman that came along and touched the hem of his garment? And Jesus said, who touched me? And the disciples looked at him and scratched their heads and said, well, we're in the midst of a big crowd. What do you mean who touched you? Everybody touched you. Jesus said, there's a difference between a touch and a touch. Virtue has gone out of me. And that woman came back, fell at his knees and said, oh Lord, I needed a touch from you. Do we have the touch of God upon our lives? Somebody wrote a book called The Second Touch. I don't believe in just a second blessing. I believe in a third and fourth and fifth and sixth and 10th and 20th and 30th touch of God. But I wanna tell you, we need that. We need the touch of God upon our hearts that will give us compassion toward others and a kind of, of a zeal that loves people. Secondly, there'll be love. This scripture speaks of love. That's what Jesus had. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. All his wonderful passion and purity. More about Jesus would I know. When I see these pictures of the cross, I think of Jesus in all of his purity. And I'm so ashamed that I don't love him more. We sing that song, oh, for grace to trust him more. In my heart when we sing that, I sing, oh, for grace to love him more. I love Jesus, but I don't love him nearly as much as he loved me. And I wanna love him more. And I, you know, we sing a little song, I love him better every D-A-Y. I love him better every D-A-Y. Close by his S-I-D-E, I want to A-B-I-D-E. I love him better every D-A-Y. And I didn't get all the words right, but that's my theme. I wanna love him more. Do you? You wanna love him more? And behave like he behaved? That's what he's talking about. Rendering the touch of God in the lives of others. Let them know that you've been with Jesus. The disciples were known they had been with Jesus because they spoke with authority. They said, well, they, he must have been with Jesus. Isn't that good? And then he says in verse nine that we're to bless others, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you're called to this, that you should be inherit a blessing. I think of a, 
of an illustration tonight that's very, very personal, and they may get upset with me for using it. I'm talking about Teddy and Stephen. Uh, they're in the ROTC, and uh, some time ago, uh, they were out at a, some kind of a bivouac or something. I don't know what it was. And Teddy took up a big stone. He was going to throw it over at a, at a tent, try to squash the tent. I don't know. They act like crazy. Sergeant, don't you teach them better than that? He tries, doesn't he? Anyway, he's going to throw it over there. And you know what he did? He hit Stephen right in the head. Stephen and Teddy didn't know each other then. And Stephen, great big old muscular Stephen, walked over to Teddy. He said, I want to meet you. <laughs> and do you know they became fast friends? Stephen didn't try to push him down or hit him in the head. I don't think. I don't know what all happened after that. But you see, Stephen had that kind of spirit right here. You know, we need that kind of spirit. When somebody does us wrong, we don't need to go get even with them. Punch them in the nose and say, I'll get even with you. Just waiting to get even with you. A lot of people do that. Jesus never did that. And so he's saying here, the rendering, if you're going to give a reason for the hope that is within you, the rendering needs to reveal his approach, not the old Adam, but his approach. And then in verse 10, he says, watch your tongue. He that will have love life and enjoy good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and let his lips that they speak no guile. Our tongue is a little member set on fire of hell. Do you know that so many times we say things with our tongue and we regret it later? But words go out and they last forever. How many of you realize that you've hurt somebody with your tongue? Lift your hand. How many of you have been hurt by somebody with their tongue? Lift your hand. See, all of us. The tongue is a, an ungodly thing. And the scripture says sometimes we bless God and we curse with it. Brethren, these things ought not to be. So he's saying if you want to give a reason for the hope that is within you, watch your tongue. Don't let your tongue wag. <laughs> Dr. Lee tells the story of a woman who came down the aisle one day and she said, he said, to, he, she said to him, Pastor, I want to lay my tongue on the altar. And he said, honey, the altar's not big enough for your tongue. We don't have to come down and stick our tongue out of the altar. What we need to do is come and humble ourselves and say, Lord, I've messed up and I want my tongue to honor Jesus. I want it to honor the Lord. I don't want to use it for vocabulary, for, for profanity and for filth, and for four-letter words. Now see, some of you that go to school, no matter what school you go to, I would love to say that never happens in a Christian school. I'd love to say that. But some of you go to Christian school and know that I'd be telling a lie if I said that. Do you know, some of you that go to school are surrounded by people with unclean tongues, right or wrong. You face it. Now what do you do about it? Learn it, hide it away in your heart, and at the right time you come out with those ugly words. I tried that once about when I was about five or six years old, and my mouth got washed out with soap. Real soap. I don't know what kind it was, but I never forgot it. And I didn't repeat it. 
And I think moms and dads, you ought to wash your children's mouths out with soap, no matter how old they are. And incidentally, this thing of telling your mother or dad off, no matter what age you are, if they had the gumption they ought to have, they'd slap you over. That never works. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Does that mean they're always right? No. Sometimes they're wrong. But you honor them anyway. I want to give this illustration. I've told you a lot of times before I love it. Years ago, there was a young boy that came to our church. He got saved and came to every service, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, never missed anything. He was out for soul winning. One day he came to me and said, I won't be here next Sunday. I said, uh, well, that's unusual. Why are you not going to be here next Sunday? Well, he said, my dad's coming home, and I'm going to meet him, spend some time with him. Well, I said, you could do that another time. He said, no, you don't understand. He said, my dad's been in prison for 10 years, and I haven't seen him for 10 years, and I love him. And I want to go meet him and spend some time with him. And I said, God bless you. You do it. You do it. He honored his father. Even though his father had been dishonorable, he honored him. I want to tell you, honor your father and your mother. Even if you don't agree with them, honor them and respect them and don't ever talk down to them. And he's saying, if you want to give a reason for the hope that is within you, watch your tongue. Watch how you behave in your tongue life. And then, verse 11, he says, learn to hate evil and to do good. Now the last part. I'll be through. Look in beginning in verse 18. If you want to give a reason for the hope that is within you, the reality that brings assurance is tucked away in these verses. Listen. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit by whom also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, who at one time were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, in which few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure, unto which even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven, and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Now I want you to notice several things in this. Christ also suffered for our sins. We do not get saved because we suffer for our sins. We don't do penance. Martin Luther was climbing up the steps of the church in Rome doing penance for his sins thinking that was the way to get to heaven. And suddenly the verse dawned on him, the just shall live by faith. And he stood up and he said, I don't have to do this. I'm saved by faith, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He suffered for our sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Now, we'll not have time to examine carefully verse 19 tonight. And I want to go on to verse 20. And he talks about the time 
during the flood, he says eight souls were saved by water. Now, if I would put that in the newspaper, that's what I'm going to preach on tonight, Sunday night. Eight souls were saved by water. Or baptism doth also now save us. We might have some of our Church of Christ friends come. Because they'd say, you Baptists got converted. Well, I want you to look at that carefully, what it says. If you lift a verse out of context, you can prove anything by the Bible. The Bible says Judas went out and hanged himself. There's another place that says, go do thou likewise. A lady came into my office one day and said, God told me to commit suicide. I said, well, just where did God tell you that? And well, she said, uh, Judas did it. And she said, God told my heart. And I tried to reason with her and help her to see that God never told anybody to commit suicide. That isn't God's plan. That isn't God's will. And finally, she began to see that she didn't get that from the Bible. She got that from some spirits that she had been drinking or taking. And I will tell you, sometimes those things cause deep depression. And I tried to be helpful to her. It wasn't critical. And I'm not telling you this is critical. I'm just telling you that's what happens to sometimes to people. Now, this scripture, while it says eight souls were saved by water and that baptism doth also now save us. In order to understand what that means and to see the reality that really brings assurance, look at the like figure. Verse 21 says, the like figure unto which even baptism doth also now save us. What is the like figure? Look back at verse 20. The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself. Compare the scripture with scripture. Verse 20 says, who at one time were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing in which few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. Now I want to ask you, were they saved by being in the water or out of the water? Were they just floating around on top of the water? Where were they? They were drowning in the water, somebody said. Where were these eight souls that were saved? They were in the ark. They were on the boat, somebody says. They were in the ark. Now the next verse says, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. What is the like figure? The ark. The ark. Those people that were saved were in the ark. And beloved, the only way you will ever be saved is to be in the ark. The ark of Christ. He is the ark. And unless you're in the ark, you're going to be destroyed. The same water that buoyed up the ark and saved those eight people destroyed everybody else. So it wasn't the water that saved them. It was the ark. And the like figure is the ark, not the water. So the reality that brings the assurance is the reality that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was raised from the dead. He's alive today and he is the ark. And when we get in the ark, we're saved by grace through faith. How do you get in the ark? By faith. Chris came the other day and got in the ark a few weeks ago. Others have come. Somebody came this morning, got in the ark. 
On August the 11th, 1939, I got in the ark. The Negro spiritual used to say, the old ark's a mover and a mover and a mover. The old ark's a mover and I'm going home. What that means is the old ark, the old ship of Zion is going along. We're sailing through some troubled seas, but we're in the ark and we're safe and it's going home on to heaven. Do you have the reality of Christ in your life? Do you know him as your savior? If you give a reason for the hope that is within you, you'll have the reality that brings assurance. How do you know you're saved? The question is, are you in the ark? Have you trusted the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse you from sin? If you have, you're in the ark. If you have not, you may be a member of the church, you may have been baptized 10 times. But if you're not in the ark, you're not going home. You're not on your way to heaven. And there's no reality to your faith. It's all up and down, up and down, up and down. You're saved one day and lost another day, saved another day, lost another day, according to how you feel. The problem is you're not saved any of those days unless you're in the ark. And when you're in the ark, feelings are not the problem. I have not been through it, but they tell me down at Grand Old Opry, at the Opry land, they have a sort of a little ark or a little boat that goes through a terrible waterfalls and so on. Some of you may have been in it. And uh, you feel like you're being washed away and you're getting flooded over with the water. and It's all coming down all over you. You get wringing wet. And you think you're going to go down in the, in the watery grave, but you come on through it because you're in the ark. You're in the little boat. Now, friend, you may go through some turbulent times, some testing times, some troubled times, and the ark may shake. If you've ever been in an airplane and you've gone through the turbulence, you know that this plane shakes and it moves, and I don't like to be in planes that do that. But after a while, it gets through those thunderstorms and it comes on home safely. There's a big difference. Some of those planes go down, but the ark I'm in never goes down. 